Fundamental Life Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome, y'all. Welcome. To the Fundamental Fundamental Life Podcast. Yes, sir. So before we get into today's topic, let me just throw out there that uh, I took your advice, and I've been watching The Last Kingdom. Oh, baby. Now, I got to say, like... For me personally, there's three letters in the English language that I've never understood, and that's BBC. And so when I clicked it on and it said that it was BBC, I was like, oh, man. It's an English English network. Right. right? Yeah. And every time like somebody recommends something and I kick it on, it's BBC. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then I'm like, I hate this. It's like PBS. You don't watch anything on PBS. Oh, no. But it's uh, like my wife, like she used to watch Doctor Who on BBC. And I was like, what is this? And then... That and what was that other one with like World War Two? What is Doctor Who? Exactly, exactly. I don't even want to open that can, dude, because I can't even explain it. Um, but uh, there was another one she used to watch. But anyway, so I kicked it on, started watching it, dude. Last Kingdom, yeah, it's legit. So uh, I started. So since last time, I started watching Money Heist. Okay, it is legit. So the original is all in Spanish, but they don't do subtitles. They dub it. So I probably watched like, I mean, I burned through all four seasons, right? <laughs> but I watched like probably two or three episodes and I was like, what is wrong with my audio? Like the audio didn't match the video and I thought it was just my, like I reset my Comcast box, seriously. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, it's just dubbed in, but they did such a good job with dubbing it in. So you got to check out uh, Money Heist. I watch too much TV apparently. Oh man, tell me about it. I'm, I'm, I'm serious, dude. Like I should be prison fit, but instead I watch television. Corn TV, yeah. what it is. There you go. I like that. <laughs> keeps you happy. It, well, you know, it keeps me entertained, I guess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to dive into some really, really good stuff today. Um, let's recap kind of what we've covered thus far. Credit. I'm going to forget. Credit, capacity, or down payment, things like that. No, that's, no. Or I'm sorry. Capital. There you go. Capital. That's why we have Matt. What was yeah. the other one? Um, so credit. Collateral capacity. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then, um, yeah, collateral is the last one. Yeah. So yeah. those are the four. Did I say four? I don't know. We so, should, we yeah, should, we should coordinate before we get on the mic. That's oh, what should happen. That, you know what, though? <laughs> I like it to be fresh. It is fresh. I feel like if I coordinate too much, then I'm not off the cuff. And I say, you know, then I sound like I'm coming in a can, you know. Hey, what's up, man? So. We, we got to do podcasts just so I can see we've been grinding. So this is going to be a fun episode. I think that uh, it's going to answer a lot of questions that homeowners have, that uh, people who are renting want to own a home have. Uh, we're really going to dive into debt ratio and the ability for a borrower to repay, how that's calculated, what that means um, in terms of your income. Uh, so where do you want to start on this, Matthew? Um, you know, that's the thing uh, is I don't, well, let's talk about what goes into your debt ratio. Let's talk about what your debt ratio is. Um, cause it's broken up into two, two parts. The first is your housing expense. And the second is your total debt ratio. And so let's talk about, uh, housing expense. What, what, what is a housing expense? Yeah, and some will you'll hear it called front end ratio, back end ratio, or housing ratio and back end ratio. 
So when you look at your housing expense or what it costs you to own a home, that's that's what's going to go into your front end ratio, and they're going to weigh that against what your qualifying monthly income is. And it's just a ratio that lenders will use to calculate your ability to repay. So with the front end ratio, um, let's say you're renting, right? You've got your rent payment. That's going to be what you use to calculate that front end ratio. But with a house payment, it's going to calculate the principal and interest payment. It's going to calculate the annual taxes on a monthly basis, the homeowner's insurance, mortgage insurance, or any HOA fees that you might have. Basically, everything that goes into that payment, not your utilities, right? Not your Questar bill or your, or your power bill or water bill or anything like that. Just the obligations of paying on the house. Exactly. And that's, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of unfair because some HOAs cover your garbage, they cover your sewer, they cover those things. But on a single family residence, we don't have to cover, we don't have to count those bills against you. But if you have a homeowners association, even if it's $300 a year, we have to calculate that against you. I have one right now. Um, they have a homeowners association and it goes towards their irrigation. It's out in, uh, uh, just a rural community and it's 360 bucks a year. So it's $30 a month against their, uh, front end ratio. But because of that, I have to get documentation of how much it is a year, yeah. which has been a pain. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, talk about how that's weighted. So let's say for example, a homeowner or someone qualifying makes six grand a month. We'll talk about what that six grand is, how it comes from, where where it comes from, how we get that number, whatever. But let's say our qualifying income is six grand. And let's say that between the principal and interest payment, the taxes, homeowner's insurance, maybe HOA if it's a condo or a townhome, uh, totals $2,000. So I flunked math. I have a computer that does this for me, but that would put them at 33% on their front end ratio, 33.3 to be exact. So check out the big brain on Bubba. I do my math right. (laughs) So that would be their front end ratio. You got a a client that makes $6,000 a month. Now that's gross. Okay. That's not what you bring home. That's not after tax. We're going to calculate everything off of your gross monthly income. Okay. So if the front end uh, is 33.3%, that means they two grand goes out to their housing expense. It's pretty simple math, really. But you talked about the back end. Back ends may be more important. It definitely, in my eyes, is more important, depending on the type of loan. What goes into the back end? That's anything that is on your credit report. Any payment that is on your credit report. Now, that's, uh, well, we can get into that a little bit, too, is what's actually reporting on your credit report versus what your payment is. So, like, uh, student loans. Student loans, they have great things called uh, deferments. They have, um, you know, income-qualifying paybacks. So, let's say, for instance, you have a student loan and you don't make enough money, so you don't have to pay it back or you only have to pay back a portion of it, or you go into certain fields and they'll forgive it, that's okay. That's good on you. 
However, for qualifying purposes, we have to use anywhere between a half a percent of your balance to a full percent of your balance for qualifying purposes. Yeah, and that hurts. You know, it, it stings. Uh, some typical things that would go into that back end ratio would be your auto loan. Mm-hmm. If you pay out three hundred bucks to, you know, Chase or uh, one of these other creditors on your auto loan. Say you have a credit card and you have a payment. Whatever payments reported to credit, that is what we're going to use. To Matt's point, if there's something in deferment like a student loan. Um, you know, we have to take that one uh, percent of the balance. So if it's if they owe fifty grand, well, it's five hundred bucks. Look at the big brain on Matt. Ta-da! <laughs> We're both doing stuff in our head. I, so, I didn't I didn't flunk Matt. <laughs> Go ahead, ask me so, any two numbers times and get <laughs> nine times three, twenty seven. So Boom. you you uh, while well, Matt's doing math over here, <laughs> so you gotta you gotta look at it and say okay, if you you know, you look at your income, you say you're making X amount, you can kind of do these numbers in your head and know whether you're kind of in the ballpark or not. But we don't care about, uh, you know, your cell phone bill. We don't care about what you spend on groceries. We don't care about um, the 12 times you went to Chick-fil-A last month. These are things that just don't, they're not going to affect your ratio. Your spending habits in terms of like your discretionary income, uh, we don't know about it. We are not going to dig through your bank statement. However, if you have a recurring payment that shows up on your bank statement every single month and it doesn't report to your credit, then we may ask you about it and it may be a problem. Let's say, for example, uh, I don't even know. Like, what's some things that we see? Um, you know, like a car loan that doesn't report to credit, buy here, pay here. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare, but we do see that, and it does become a problem occasionally. The one thing that um, I've been asked about as far as, like, your debt ratio is concerned is your current housing expense doesn't affect what your future housing expense is. So let's say, for instance, you are renting right now, and you're concerned, well, I got my $1,000 a month. How can I qualify for two grand in addition? We don't care about that because... Once you purchase this home, you have a new place to live. We don't care about your previous expenses. Yeah, and that this is a good the reason we start with talking about debt ratio before we dive into income is because sometimes we will speak with, with clients and they'll come in and they've just paid off, you know, their car loan or they've just, you know, wiped out all their debt and they're stoked, but then they don't have a down payment. And if they would come and speak to a professional first, maybe he could say, hey, don't worry about paying that off. It's going to allow you to have more money down to get a better loan. Or maybe you do need to pay that off. You've got enough in reserves where you still have the down payment. But it, it's difficult for uh, a client or a homeowner to know what to do because, you know, frankly, they don't read the, you know, what is it? I think Fannie Mae's guideline book is 1,280 pages. Um, mostly about income and debt ratio. So, yeah, I mean, you just have to, uh, uh, there's, we're going to hit some highlights, but it definitely goes uh, a little deeper. Um, but it's going to, we should be able to give you some good knowledge. So at least, you know, you have a fifth grade education when it comes to how your debt to income ratio is going to affect you qualifying for a loan. Absolutely. And one of the things, let's talk about what doesn't have to be counted against you on your credit report. 
Because this, uh, a lot of times, like, will blow people's minds because they think that everything on your credit report is going to be against you. Uh, I have one uh, right now that's closing Friday. Um, the borrower, she was she was really tight on ratios. Um, so we had her pay her car down to exactly 10 payments. Her car payment was $285 a month. She owed roughly six grand on it, so she paid it down to $2,850. Because she only has 10 payments left, we don't have to count that against her debt ratio anymore. So now all of a sudden, because she doesn't have 285 bucks in her debt ratio, I can now qualify her for, what is that, roughly $50,000 more in purchasing power. Yeah, yeah. One other thing is uh, if you're an authorized user on account, mm-hmm. um, let's say dad threw you on his account and every month he spends twenty grand on his Amex. Well, if you're just an authorized user, again, something that we don't have to hit you with. So there's some little things there that uh, will limit. I just thought of another one. Um, I'll come back to it. It hit my head and, and it then it just left. But uh, yeah, there are some things that we don't have to to hit you with. But I think that uh, it's wise for uh, a client to speak to a professional to kind of find out how that's calculated, um, which brings up the next topic of income, because that is, um, unless you have something else you want to hit on, on debt ratio, the income portion of it is really what those debts are weighted against, because it's a ratio that's going to tell lenders how what your ability to repay is. Okay, now when we talk about that percentage, so let's go back to the example I used before. Someone who makes six grand and they uh, their total uh, obligations on their front-end ratio or their housing is two grand, um, that would put them at 33.3. A sweet spot is really less than 36, is kind of what they say. We can go all the way up to 50, as long as the file's really strong, 45 without having to get uh, exceptions most of the time. But all of these are calculated through, uh, it's called the automated underwriting engine. Um, but what we've experienced is, uh, and, and like FHA, they'll have their standard guidelines, which I think are 2936, uh, is that right? Uh, so USDA is 2939 uh, is what they like, but they'll, they have a, a cool underwriting engine. It's called Gus. Gus. I hate Gus. Gus is a jerk. I love okay. Gus. I don't anyway, know. Gus, I don't get Gus. But anyway, Gus, what a jerk. Anyway, so Gus, he will sometimes let you go up to 41, but you got to have a boatload of reserves, which to me it's like, why would I have a boatload of reserves if I'm doing a zero-down USDA loan? But yeah. whatever. <laughs> Doesn't make a ton of sense. So, and there's some other things to talk about when it comes to debt ratio. But Freaking Gus. Yeah, Gus. <laughs> There's some general guidelines, and then there's this automated underwriting engine. And I would say, you know, typical homeowners are going to be, you know, in the 20s or, or low 30s on their front-end ratio and eh, around 40 on their back end. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we see it definitely better than that. We also see it worse, and those people don't get loans because they have an absorbent amount of debt or they have a lot of student loans where we have to hit them with a half or 1% payment. And so... uh 
But that's how your debt ratio is calculated in a nutshell. And it's just a ratio that's letting lenders know uh, if you can repay. Generally speaking, um, I was reading about this because I knew we were going to talk about ratio. And lenders, as soon as your back end goes over 43, the likelihood of you defaulting or coming upon hard times increases dramatically. And so we can go higher than that, but like you said, is your credit excellent? Do you have reserves? These compensating factors, how long have you been on your job? What's your credit depth? All these mitigating factors are taken into consideration because if you've paid your bills for a long, long time, chances are you can handle a little higher ratio. It's not gonna be this payment shock instantly. And so uh, with debt ratio, it's, it's so um, crucial along with credit, that down payment, um, collateral, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some of these things. But so with income, I would say that let's start off by talking about just your typical standard wage earner. Nine to five, baby. Nine to five. Dolly Parton talked about it. Absolutely. She sang about it. She did. <laughs> almost, dude, Working you almost, nine to five. there you go, man, man, coming through. I was going to, I was like, oh, I almost burst into song, but then, yeah, coming through. So, uh, typical wage earner, you're making $10 an hour, $20 an hour, 15, whatever. I don't even know what's minimum wage right now. Is it 14, 15? I think it's 12 something. 12, 12. Let's say it's 12, 12 and a quarter, something like that. That, that tells you, that makes me feel like I'm out of touch with reality here because I don't. Start bringing our laptops to do this. <laughs> right, no kidding. So I anyway. I know it's gone up. Yeah. Um, so let's say let's say you're making twelve fifty an hour, okay, and you work a full 40 hours a week. So that means that we take twelve fifty times 40, which is $500, and times that by 52, which would give you $26,000 a year in income. And then we divide that by 12. So that means your gross monthly income is $2,166.66. Now, let's say you work for R.C. Willie, because that's where I used to work. Believe it or not, I used to move furniture for a living. I know I don't look like it, but it's all about— That's why you're such a beefcake. Dude, it's it's all about leverage. Look at the pipes on that guy. <laughs> it's You know, it's nothing to do with muscles. It's leverage. That's <laughs> I tell everybody. I'm like I have machines lever. for that. <laughs> I'm a little lever, man. I just <laughs> lean into stuff. Anyway, so let's say you work for R.C. Willie and you get, you know, benefits. They pay for your health insurance or 401K. That's awesome. But that's not income. Nope. Your income is what your hourly rate is by 40, by 52, divided by 12. That easy. Yeah. So that that calculation is, um, that's a science. It's not, we didn't make it up. It is what it is. Um, a lot of people will take uh, their hourly rate and calculate it differently, come up with less. But weekly, if you're working 40 hours, there's 52 weeks in the year. And that's where that equation comes from. Marcus just flashed over uh, what minimum wage is. Was it seven and a quarter? Yeah, I was way off, dude. Dude. That is not enough money. That's terrible. Can't eat a Chick-fil-A for that. Yeah. <laughs> that is terrible. So um, we've got your typical standard uh, hourly rate employee. What is, what's full-time? Is it 36? 36 is considered full-time. Uh, 32 with certain employers. Um, if you're working 32 hours a week, they'll they'll consider you full time, so you can get 
benefits. Yeah. Now, less than that, we start having issues. Oh, yeah. So if you're working, uh, let's say you're, you, you work full-time, but you need your wife to also be on the loan because you rely on her income as well uh, to pay your expenses. But she only works 23 hours a week as a office manager for a dentist. Okay, Typical uh, you know, scenario that we see. But she's only been on her job for eight months. Unfortunately, it's considered a part-time job. And with anything less than you know, 36, 32 hours, depending on the employer, we have to have a two-year history on that. Same as if you work full-time, 40 hours a week, and maybe you stock shelves at night. And uh, you would also need, for your part-time income, a full 24-month history in order to use that part-time income. Why, why, why 24 months? stable and consistent income. And that is, you know, when we went through the meltdown, a lot these income changes, uh, they've kind of always been standardized, but there was, they were very lenient from maybe 2001 through 2008. And really uh, now it's hard and fast with the CFPB, which is the Consumer Financial Finance Protection Bureau. Yep. That's pretty much what oversees us. Um, they implemented laws and they oversee these laws and we have to reasonably be able to document uh, a borrower's income, which is how it should be. Um, you shouldn't be able to borrow money unless you have stable and consistent income. Right? Exactly. And you think about it, it's like, hey, I really want to qualify for this house. I'm going to go get a part-time job. So I show more income and I'm going to carry this part-time job for a couple months and then I'm going to apply. No, it doesn't gonna, work like that. Then you're going to quit. Yep, exactly. As soon as I get my new house, I'm quitting this part-time job. Yeah. No. doesn't work that way. Doesn't Use work. that part-time job to save for a down payment, but you're not going to be – we can't use it for income. Yeah, good point. You can you – know, if you, if you sock, sock away money from stocking shelves or your wife socks away money from her part-time job, absolutely save that. Use it as your down payment. As far as calculating your debt ratio, which we touched on um, – can't use that income and so what you make and what you uh, what we use for your qualifying income are really two different things um, and that's why you've got to sit down with someone and really have them calculate what that qualifying income is so but let's say you work hourly and you also get paid commissions or maybe you get bonuses um, very which is very typical in America they want thing they want employees to be incentivized so not only do you need to come to work, but you work need to work hard. And if you work hard, you'll make more money. So with bonus, overtime, or commission, okay, anything over your salary or hourly rate, we have to have a 24-month history on that as well. Now, there's some exceptions, but the general rule of thumb is we need a 24-month history, minimum, absolute minimum of 12 and really 24. Now, if it's 18 months, maybe we can get away with it. But more often than not, we need a full 24. Exactly. The, the one thing with that is if you change jobs and your previous job, you got overtime. And your current job, you get overtime. That's okay. We're going to use your current average on your current job. Because, you know, a lot of people, they're, they're going to move. I mean, you're talking about making seven and a quarter an hour. 
and I get 10, 15 hours of overtime a week, now I can make $16 an hour, and I only get three hours of overtime. That's okay. We're still going to use your overtime off your current base. Yeah. We just need a 24-month history of it. Yeah, and the uh, um, a lot of times people will change jobs. They'll go from uh, let's move on to salary. So we hour, you've got an hourly rate, but then you also have uh, borrowers, clients that are salary. They are salaried at forty eight thousand a year or sixty thousand a year. So that's that's set. Whether they work, you know, whatever their hours are, that's what their salary is. Okay, but let's say they go from a jo- and that's fine. Whatever your salary is. That is what we will go off of. If it's sixty grand, simple math. Divide that by twelve. Five thousand yes. dollars, dude. I should be in the math Olympics. Yes, five G a month. <laughs> so but a lot of a lot of uh, right now, where you know the economy's doing fairly well, people will move from one employer to another, and they'll go from a salary job to a commission job. Let's say uh, they were they've been making sixty grand for three four years. They work in the IT industry, and then they go take a similar job at a different employer, but they have the ability to make 90 with no base. It's all commission, or it's all bonus, or unfortunately, 24 months. You got to have that 24-month history. Same thing as if you work for somebody, and then you decide, hey, I can double my income if I go out on my own. 24 months. Yep. Two years tax returns. We don't care really what's being deposited in your bank statement. Uh, it's qualifying income, not what you bring into your bank account. It's your actual qualifying income. So that time is a big deal, particularly when you have incentive pay. Oh, yeah. And to touch base just on the overtime thing, just to back up, um, even if you only had one paycheck that you got overtime at your previous employer and now you're getting 30 hours a week in overtime and you've been on your job six months dude that's okay we have a history of overtime that it doesn't matter if it was just a minuscule amount because i've had to go back and ask yeah. and, and get employers to like dig it up and it's like oh yeah there was this one time he got ten dollars in overtime it's like boom we're good yeah, and there's we do a lot of legwork uh, when we get files mm-hmm. <laughs> behind the scenes to to gather and glean this information from the employer through verifications of employment, different things like that. But um, this this part's getting boring. Let's move on to stuff that's like a little more fun to talk about. Um, I jotted down some notes. Oh, okay. With my red pen. <laughs> yeah, you know, income is kind of boring. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like talking about income. Let's talk about let's talk about Last Kingdom again. But <laughs> all right, so like, uh, let's see, self-employed. Uh, you want to talk about self-employment? Yeah, let's do. It. I mean, you got your primary job, you've got these secondary jobs we touched on, or part-time jobs. Um, one thing we didn't hit is our tips, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of uh, restaurant workers or different industries will receive tips. Uh, the average American, they're not going to claim those tips. And if you don't claim them, like if we can't document them, okay, they, they're they not going to go into your qualifying income. It's great that you're getting them. It's awesome that you receive tips, but unless you claim them on your returns or they show up on your pay stub, 
um, which will then show up on your W-2. Um, can't use that. So, Yeah. And there's a big difference between income and verifiable income. And that's that's the thing that like uh, always is is frustrating for borrowers, for people who come in. It's like, but I make all this money. Oh no, I I I a hundred percent believe you. I know you do. I can tell. But there's verifiable income, and then there's income, and so we're handcuffed because of that. Now again, we've talked about hokey loans with. You know, oh, if I give you 12 months bank statements, can't you go off those? Well, right now I call that a no-qual loan. No one qualifies. It sounds super awesome and like a great idea, but nobody will qualify. Furthermore, the rates on those are like in the eights right now. And so anybody like taking those types of loans, you're shooting yourself in the foot because it's like, yeah, no, you don't have to pay like income tax. But you're going to pay boatloads in interest. Yeah, yeah. The the costs as well. We we've touched on costs on there. Yeah. You know, but these these hokey, uh, they're hard money. Basically, yeah. Guido's out there lending you money, and I don't like Guido. Mm-hmm. I don't like Gus or Guido. Dude, Gus, freaking Gus. Anyway, so self employment. Let's talk about that. Self employment. We go through. Um, there is a way that we calculate income, and there are certain things that we can add back. Certain things like depreciation, amortization, um, uh, depletion. These are just paper write-offs. They don't mean that you're actually spending cold, hard cash. Um, But it's a write-off. So those are good write-offs. So we can add that back into your verifiable or qualifying income. There are certain write-offs that we cannot. And those are cost of goods sold. If you bring in a hundred grand and it was ninety thousand dollars worth of, you know, equipment or T-shirts or whatever you're selling, well, there's nothing we can do about that. I mean, you spent ninety grand to make a hundred grand. That's just simple math. Yeah, the self-calculating self-employed income is, um, it's kind of an algorithm. I would say not really, but I mean, it sounds cool to call it an algorithm. So I want to seem smart. So that's what we'll call it. You, we have to go through uh, the business and the personal returns, and there's things that we extract out of there, and then there's things that we'll add back in that you're uh, taking as write-offs. One in Utah, and I think we're probably uh, there's probably more self-employed taxpayers in Utah than maybe any state. I don't know why, but it's multi-level uh, marketing, it's man. The, it's the MLMs. I got, I got some chocolate. Yeah, Mary Kay. So uh, almost everyone will have a Schedule C. And a Schedule C is, you know, you're self-employed, you're, uh, uh, you're maybe you're running a small home-based business, but you have a job, a full-time job, and so you will file a Schedule C, and a Schedule C uh, is going to show what you made, and then you're going to have some write-offs in there. Might be your cell phone, might be business use of your home, which you're going to use as a write-off, which we can add back in, um, but just some of the expenses on operating that business. Maybe you've been advised to do that because you have a little side gig and you can pay a little less in tax, and that's fine. Um, you just got to sit down with somebody. And then once you get out of Schedule C, if you were any more than 25% owner, 20% on some loans, but 25% owner in a business, you're going to receive uh, a K-1 distribution or 
your percentage of the company's profit or loss. But anytime you're 25% or more owner, you're going to be considered self-employed. So if, if dad has a business and you, he, you know, you own 5% of his business, you're not necessarily considered self-employed, but most businesses are 50, 50 or, you know, 25% split between four guys or you're hundred percent owner of it. Um, we absolutely no exceptions have to have the business return to calculate your income. Doesn't matter what you tell us on the phone. We have to have that return. What's interesting about that is we, you know, you get some pushback, but uh, more often than not, when we go through the return, we're going to come up with more income by adding back in depreciation, amortization, business use of home, mileage, these different things that uh, uh, that we can kind of kick back in. It's we always use the joke, you know, broken clocks right twice a day. I think some LOs just stick a number in there and they're right. And then they're like, oh, yeah, hey, I knew how to calculate it. No, there's an equation. And it's absolutely right to the penny. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's other things with being self-employed that we can actually omit debt that's on your debt ratio. Stuff that is on your credit report. If your business pays that debt and we can get 12 months uh, proof of payment, canceled checks or transaction history or whatever, we can omit that debt. The easiest one to omit are vehicles. So if you own a truck or car or a van, have your company make that payment from your company. Um, So a lot of times people, like, they'll pay themselves and then they'll pay their debts. Well, that's that's great, but if you have the company pay it directly – then number one, you get the write-off, you get the depreciation of said vehicle, so it helps you tax basis massively. But also, we don't have to count it against your debt ratio. Yeah. That's what that's what I forgot when we were first talking. You might have a debt on your credit report, and I totally just blew it. I like lost my train of thought. <laughs> is uh, if someone else is paying it, your business is paying it, business partner, uh, and you have documentation that they've paid it for twelve months. Boom, gone. We can. You know, get rid of it out of your debt ratio. And that saves a lot of deals. Oh, yeah. Well, and a, not just business. If uh, grandma co-signed um, and she's co-signed on this loan, we get 12 months, we're good to go. Yeah, and we'll ask because usually on a credit report, uh, on a credit card, it will say authorized user. Or on an auto loan, it will say co-signer. And so we'll, we'll lots of times ask. It's not like you have to remember this, but uh, I just got you again, someone who – kind of knows what they're doing. Self-employed income is what you need to know as a, as a client or as a homeowner or a potential buyer. You have to supply the documentation because we can't do our job. Uh, we can't pre-qualify you, right, to buy a second home or buy your first house unless we have those returns, personal and business, all pages. Not just the front two, you know, picture with your camera phone, the entire return. And so it just... You're doing yourself a favor to supply everything up front. Helps us, helps you, help us help you. That is a great saying. Help me help you. <laughs> the, uh, the, that's the funny thing is that's typically where I take the most phone calls is in January because everybody is doing their year-end books and they're like, how much do I have to show? How much do I have to show in order to buy this house? I don't want to pay tax. And I don't want to pay any tax. So then they send me over their initial returns and I'm like, no, nope, you need to show a little more. How much more? 
about 10 grand. Cool. So I, that's when my, my phone is like the help desk hotline. It's like, you know. Quasi CPA. Yeah, dude. And like people will be like, well, can I write that off? I don't know, dude. That's, I can't give you that advice. I don't have a, a degree. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. I just know what your income can be. Yeah, and the, the two years of tax returns. So if you went self-employed in, you know, August of 2018, um, most of the time your return's going to say 8 of 2018 as your start date. And we're going to verify anyway when it was when your business was opened. But it's in all likelihood you may have to wait until 8 of 2020 to get a loan. And eh, there's some exceptions. Like I'm not going to say that's a hard, fast rule, but pretty much 24 months we got to have those returns. So just just know if you go self-employed, you got a, you got a really sexy job and you're like, "Man, I can make more money on my own." That's great, but you hope you don't need to qualify for a loan next year. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying lay the train tracks like we've talked about with all these different things and kind of know uh, what you're doing. We've see, I've seen clients that go out and put offers in on homes and then their loan officer can't get it done. And then it ends up on our desk and then we're like, man, who, who qualified you to do this? this? It was just irresponsible. They have hard earnest money down. They ended up losing uh, some cash. And so just, uh, you know, lay the train tracks, kind of know what you need to do and chat with someone about all those details. Um, Social Security income, disability income. There's, you know, I've got a lot of stuff, foster care, alimony. So let's talk about uh, Social Security and disability income, which is really, really common. Um, We can use it. It's absolutely qualifying income. Okay. Matter of fact, if all you're getting is Social Security, maybe you're retired or disability and you have no other sources of income, most of the time we can take that and we can actually gross it up. Yep, 125%. Yeah, yeah. There's Now, if you have other income, it, that may not be the case, but it's going to tell us on your tax returns. Um, and with that, basically all we need is they send you what's called an awards letter, and then we'll see it drop into your bank account because most of those, uh, everyone I've seen is auto-deposited. Well, so let's expound. Why can we gross it up 125%? Not taxed. It's not taxed. So it's got to be fair. You know, we're using the gross monthly income for somebody that's getting paid $10 an hour. We have to use the gross monthly income for somebody that is getting Social Security or disability income. And so if it's not being taxed, we can gross it up 125%. And that goes with child support and... Um, alimony, but alimony is typically always taxed because it's tax deductible. Do you know that? Dude, that's awesome. Alimony is tax deductible. It is. And so. You got to get me a sugar mama. That's what I'm saying, man. I'm going to divorce. I'm going to divorce my wife, man, and cut my, and cut my taxes in half. That is crazy. I did, I did not know that. Yeah. And then uh, some other things, you know, foster care. If you uh, are a foster parent, you receive uh, monies from the state. Um, we definitely can use that. Things, there's things we have to document that uh, with that, but we can use uh, foster income. Um, another one we see a lot of is retirement income, whether it's a government retirement, an annuity, a pension. Um, it's a source of income that you have that's coming in. Absolutely, that is qualifying income. We can use it. Um, trust income, or we can use that. 
or VA benefits. Okay, if you're getting benefits and you're a veteran, um, we just have to show that you're receiving it. And we also have to show that you are going to continue to receive it. Mm -hmm. So if it, you know, daylights in 60 days, yeah, that's not really qualifying income. But if it continues, we definitely uh, can use that. The last one, I know you wanted to hit something, but rental income. So if you've got uh, a rental property, uh, we absolutely can use the rental income on that. Now, we're not just going to take your lease agreement if it's you know had it for a couple years. That's going to be filed on what's called your Schedule E on your tax return. Again, one of those schedules that's going to be included in your tax return. And you're going to take advantage of some write-offs, but we're also going to be able to add back in depreciation and some things that you're using as uh, as a write-off. So rental income, absolutely can use it. A couple things that didn't, didn't jot down that we don't see a lot of is if you have a roommate that has lived with you for 12 months and you can prove that that roommate has helped you with the mortgage payment. In other words, they've paid you 400 bucks a month for the last 12 months. It's called border income. We can use that if they're going to continue to live with you, right? We don't see that a lot because usually it's paid through Bitcoin or Venmo or cash money homes. But and it's a it that yeah it's something to yeah I've been down that road. Border income is hard. Yeah, it never works. Yeah, it does once in a while. Well, I just say never, but it's man, it is more often than not. I would say ninety nine times out of a hundred you're just better to get them to co-sign with you than to try to document border income. It's like uh, <sighs> 10 months and then, and then oh, I paid him in cash in this one month. I'm sorry. I can't use it. So we, you know, we digress. Yeah. And that's the same with uh, speaking of 12 months, because this is something that I, that we run into, especially with 12 months worth of uh, uh, payments in a row um, from your business or your, you know, grandchild or whatever. It needs to be 12 months. It's not 8. It's not 11. It's 12. And here's the one that kicks my butt every single time. It's got to be consecutive. So if your bank gives you the month of December off, like, Merry Christmas. Yeah, you've been on time every month. You don't have to make your December payment on your truck. So you're like, yes, I'm going to take this money I'm buying the new Xbox or the PS5, which is coming out. It's pretty sexy looking. I'm going to just throw that out there. I'm a big video game guy, so, you know, um, my kids are already hitting me up about it. But anyway, so you skip that payment and you make Januaries. Well, when I go to get my 12 months, I'm missing a month. And, you know, some lenders, they're understanding with that and others are hard-nosed. It's got to be 12 months consecutive is how the guideline reads and so even if you say no they they got that month off they don't care yeah you, you're we have a problem with that yep or if you accidentally pay it from your personal account well if you do that then you better like pay that payment twice yeah with business owners i think one takeaway from this podcast um is pay your business obligations from your business account all the time. Like just if you have an obligation that's associated with your business, maybe it's a little bit personal, but pay it from your business account every single month, auto draft it, cut a check, 
Like make sure that because it, it, it just helps you. And we see it all the time, all the time. They go, you know, maybe an electrician needs six vehicles to run his business and he goes and gets loans on them all in his personal name. And then, you know, maybe it's paid a little bit through the personal, a little bit through the business. And we're like, my man, you got eight car loans here. Yours, your wife's and the six business vehicles. We got a problem with your debt ratio. So, you know, it's easy to just set it up where the business is paying those debts. That's like a big takeaway from this for those who are listening. Oh, yeah. And I did one of my favorite loans I ever worked on was uh, I, I did a loan for a doctor who was a, like a family practitioner. And I got his bank statements because he's like, oh, no, that's paid for my business. So I get his business bank statements. Everything. Like, hey, dude, oh, I yeah. mean, everything. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you're making your house payment out I of here. I saw that last week. <laughs> and he's all, yeah, no, I just let my accountant deal with that. <laughs> I'm like, geez, I'm so glad I'm not your accountant because, like, having to come through and clean out all your personal stuff, that'd be a pain. Yeah, it's the, the <laughs> biggest advice I can give to business owners when it comes to just cleaning up the finances is keep it compartmentalized. Like, just compartmentalize those expenses. If you have a, a business credit card, just put your business expenses on that credit. So you know everything on that account was a business expense. You don't have to sit and nitpick through your personal bank statement to extract things. That just gives me uh, gives me a headache. I see that all the time. <laughs> They're making their house payment and their motorhome payment through their business. I'm like, my man, this is uh, this doesn't look like a business expense. Man, of course it is. It's a write-off. It's a write -off. Just write it off. That's what I do. <laughs> just write it off. I don't, I don't, I don't know the law. <laughs> Business or uh, income's kind of boring to talk about. It really is. I it's, didn't realize how boring it was until we actually started talking about it. I thought it was, you know, there's nothing real like, like exciting. There's, you know, there's a, there's certain things just so you know, as uh, self-employed people. And like right now I'm having to explain it to a lot of people that they don't understand is we verify your tax returns. So right now, the reason why I have to explain this to so many people is because the IRS is shut down. And so for people that are self-employed, you're having to go online, create an account with the IRS, do all this verification garbage, and then log in and download your transcripts from the IRS website. So the thing with that is because they're filed with the IRS, we have to verify what you have given us is filed, that they're the same exactly. And in the past, you haven't had to worry about that because with the IRS, we send in this cool little form. It's called the 4506T, and they look at it, and they say, oh, okay, this person's getting a loan. And so then they send us your transcripts, and you never know about it. And so that's the whole thing. If they don't match, then we have a problem. If they match, then you, you'll never hear about it. But the reason why I'm having to explain this so much is because I'm having to make people do it. And they're like, well, I've never had to do this before. And I'm like, well, the IRS has never been shut down. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, they were for a little bit, but you remember on the whole budget thing? And that, that, that whole trust but verify, mm -hmm. that, that saying trust but verify, we verify everything. Even though we get your pay stubs and your W-2s, we still pull transcripts, even though uh, we're, we're going to verify with your employer, particularly right now. 
um, because a lot of uh, people have been laid off. Um, we're going to verify your employment before closing on every single transaction. We will call. Does Joe work there? Yes. Has he had a reduction in hours? No. Or if they say yes, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but we will verify uh, everything. And one one other item that is important, a little off topic, but um, we we see it all the time: large deposits. Any any money that's going into uh, your account, I don't know why. I just feel like we need to hit this. Any money that's going into your account that is more than fifty percent of your qualifying income. So, same example we started with: guy makes six grand a month, house payments two. Any deposit that exceeds three grand, we have to document where it came from. I don't care if grandma bought your pedal bike and paid you four grand. I got to get that check. I got to show where it came from. I got to show that you owned that pedal bike for four grand. And uh, the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of people who um, will barter and you know sell stuff on the internet, KSL or some of these other sites here in Utah, and that money will drop into their account. And it's totally legal. It's not like they're dealing drugs, right? It's not a suspicious activity, so to speak. But <laughs> it's not a SARS report. Oh, man. But it, uh, uh, we have to document it. And that, that makes some people angry because they're like, man, that is none of your business. I sold my, my, the boat my grandpa gave me. And it, it, it kind of is our business. I wish it wasn't. But all those deposits, when they're... Fairly large, 50% of your income, we have to document them. And uh, that, that angers some people. And mm-hmm. I don't like to do it, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. I, I just I, I wanted to just back up and let everybody know that inside joke, just we have to, this is a mortgage joke, okay? It's one of those things is whenever anything comes in, we're supposed to file a suspicious activity report and it's called a SARS. And so I've just always thought that was funny because, you know, it's a virus, you know, SARS and blah, SARS. Blah, blah. so anyway, it's not really that funny, but it is an inside joke. You know, I don't know. It's a broker joke. Wow, yeah, a SARS so. report. Yeah. Anyway. What now? Let's wrap this thing up. Yeah, this will be a short one. We've been on for what, half hour or so? 20, 30 minutes? Fifty? Oh, fifty geez. minutes! Holy go crap! Holy cow! I've been flapping my gums. So income's boring, but if you uh, want to qualify, just got to supply the items. We'll dig through them, and uh, we always give some cool takeaways. I don't have any neat jokes. Uh, you should watch Money Heist. That's okay. actually what I'm going to be for Halloween. They wear these orange jumpsuits. I was actually online looking for one. They're all cheap. And they wear, uh, I can't remember, it's a it's an artist. They wear his mask when they do all their burglaries. It's freaking awesome. It's awesome. Sweet. Now I'm just going to learn to speak Spanish. Okay, okay. I can, I can help you. I can, I can help you with that. I speak una pequeño. What does that mean? It means very little. <laughs> or, <laughs> muy, no, it's muy, muy poquito. I don't know. Muy poquito. I don't know, man. I'm just kidding. I, I just know the important stuff like mis, or me llamo. Es Mateo. Me es muy popular con la muchachas. <laughs> and that means that I'm very popular with the ladies because I'm the latest man. <laughs> hey, do us a favor. And uh, if you have listened to this, you listened to this one or any of them, go subscribe and please uh, leave a comment for us. We'd like to know uh, 
kind of what you guys would like to hear and just what you think, basically. And like I said, feel free to text us, email us, let us know. Great job, bad job. If you want to, you know, what what are you looking at me like that? Oh, for? dude, because I just had a I just had an idea. I just one thing that we should throw out there, and it's gonna blow everything up. But like seriously, there is a new product right now. Oh yes, that is just like super exciting and awesome. It's it's called Conquest. Um, it's in a very emotional product. It was written in an emotional way, and it's exciting and new. And the greatest thing about it is Conquest. I call it the COVID Conqueror alone. Because I, I call it the Corona Killer. There you go. The Corona Killer, COVID Conquer, whatever you want. And speaking of exciting, now this loan is not for everybody. Not everybody can get it. If you're a habitual refinancer or you're looking for cash out or you've refinanced in the last 18 months, chances are you probably won't qualify for this program. But if you do... The highest rate on this program available, highest rate, is 2.999. I got to throw that. It's a high a high penny roll there. 2.999. Exactly. It's three nines, so don't get fooled. It's not two. It's three nines, so 2.999. Lowest rate is 2.5, and that's on a 30-year fixed. We can do this on a 15-year. Um, we can do it on a VA loan, and those, I think, cap at two and a half. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing with um, the COVID Conqueror or the Conquest loan, it's 100% for anybody purchasing a home or anybody that's looking to do a rate and term refinance that has not refinanced in the last 18 months. You Now, there are some people that may qualify that have refinanced in the last 18 months, but you know, we can check, we can, you know, look Just to an see. address check. Yep. Simple. Yeah. It's real simple, real easy. But 100% of purchases qualify for this program. Corona killer. So when you call, don't ask for Matt. Ask for Steve. Because <laughs> it's called the Corona killer. Yeah. Ask for the killer. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the deal. I want to hear from everybody that is listening to this. Um, both of you. Hit us up. <laughs> hey, my wife already texted me and said, we were doing a really good job, okay? <laughs> but let us know. Like, I, I uh, would love some feedback. And uh, as I mentioned, hopefully we're getting better. Maybe not, but hit us up. Subscribe, please. Leave a comment. And, and some catch, stars. And some stars. Five of them. Catch you on, we'll catch you on the flip side. I did. <laughs>